Welcome to the Boss Ladies Podcast. I'm Olivia Wary, and as a young female working in the industry of technology, I'm constantly struggling to find my voice and overcome challenges thrown my way. I've decided to have conversations with boss ladies in every industry to hear how they do it. Boss Ladies is intended to inspire women and men of all ages to overcome their fears, explore moonshot thinking, speak up for who they are and what they believe in, and move up in their respective industries. Every day we are faced with challenges, so it is my intention to empower you to get the advice you need by interviewing top executives who have been through it all. On today's episode of Boss Ladies, please welcome Kimberly Ayers-Sharif. Kim currently serves as Chief Administrative Officer of American Ballet Theatre. At ABT, Kim has been tasked with building out the legal and human resources functions for the organization while also acting as a strategy advisor and thought partner to the artistic and executive directors and all other staff who seek out her assistance on matters. Prior to her time at ABT, Kim spent more than half her career specifically in the nonprofit arts sector with over eight years at Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts first as Deputy General Counsel and a project-based member of the President's Strategy Group, and then serving as an independent consultant focusing on the development and implementation of marketing, programming, and diversity outreach strategies. Prior to that, Kim spent seven plus years working with Black Entertainment Television in the legal department. There she had the opportunity to work on the legal aspects of BET's merger with Viacom and was tapped to establish and oversee the business and legal affairs functions for the company when it moved to New York City following the merger. Kim grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and went to Georgetown University where she played on the women's tennis team and earned a BA in sociology as well as a certificate of African studies from Georgetown's School of Foreign Service. Thereafter, she obtained her law degree from Tulane University School of Law, completed the summer drama program at Yale University, and was awarded a scholarship from a Harvard Business School alumni group. Kim currently lives in Manhattan with her husband and two daughters. Welcome today, Kim. We are so excited to have you. So can you start by telling us your story and sort of what led you to your role as the Chief Administrative Officer of American Ballet Theater? Yes, and I will start very simply to say that it all relied upon good relationships. Um, you know, of course, you have to show that you can do the work and, mm-hmm. you know, be skillful and practice excellence. But really, in the end, I feel like I've had a series of dream jobs because of the people that I've been fortunate enough to meet. So to take that back a few steps, I was working at Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts. I was deputy general counsel there, so completely in the legal department. But as time wore on, the president at the time said, you know, I feel like you could add some value to my strategy group, which was this internal think tank that we had. And you were doing amazing stuff, very entrepreneurial. And I think at the time, if I remember this correctly, everyone in that group was a Harvard Business School grad. And they had come through this fellowship program that Lincoln Center had. So it was like the ultimate think tank. So, of course, I said, yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful. I'm so honored. And then I started working with that group in addition to what I did on the legal side. I formed some, you know, really great relationships with the people in that group. And then ultimately, I found that kind of liked doing that work better than the, you know, the, kind of strict legal work. 
that led me after a few years to decide to leave Lincoln Center. And I did a lot of things. I sewed my creative oats. I did some consulting on the legal side, but I also was able to do some consulting on the programming, creative business strategy side that I had started to delve into before I left Lincoln Center. In fact, I went right back to Lincoln Center and did a couple of consultancies. From there, I, you know, things just grew. I started to serve on some boards because I had some more time to devote to that. I'm all in the arts, by the way. And as I said, my creative oats, I was taking photographs. I was doing some visual art of my own. And then my dear friend from Lincoln Center called me up and said that she had just been named the executive director of American Valley Theater. And she wanted her thought partner back. (laughs) That is awesome. (laughs) And that is how it all unfolded. I did a consultancy first, although she was pretty keen to say, you know, would you think about coming back full time? And eventually after a few consultancies and me seeing what an amazing organization it was, how wonderful the people were, and of course, knowing how entrepreneurial and innovative she is, I you know, signed up and created this position. Wow. That's an amazing story. So it's very clear that you're passionate about the performing arts from your experience especially like the ones you've just listed. And of course, at American Ballet Theater. So while there's so many different paths within entertainment and within performing arts, what piqued your interest in the law? So that's a very interesting question. Because my family basically made it clear to me that I either needed to be a doctor or a lawyer. I come from a line of doctors, dentists, So I actually started off doing my pre-med work, but then found it really wasn't for me that I was just doing it because, you know, I wanted to emulate my incredible mother, but it really wasn't what I was cut out to, to do. So my father said, look, you know, then go to law school. You're not going to be a doctor, go to law school. So I really didn't know what I wanted to do in the law. I didn't know any lawyers really at the time. So I looked at it as an opportunity to really just make myself more marketable. You know, it was this degree that in essence teaches you how to think and analyze and communicate. And those are things that anyone can use to advance their career. So that was my mindset going into law school. And I, you know, I thought that that meant I was not going to go to a law firm. I was going to figure out in those three years what really made me tick and get some job. I didn't know what it was. I've always had an affinity for the arts. I think I thought maybe it would have something to do with entertainment or the arts. And then I ended up going right to a firm (laughs) (laughs) and following the instructions of my career development department at the law school and my professors and so on and so on. Um, And then I kind of found out that it wasn't for me. You know, this whole law thing wasn't for me. I was, however, though, very fortunate to have a mentor who just really, really looked out for me. He started his own firm and it ended up that their biggest client was Black Entertainment Television. And so, you know, they're, they're you know, opened up my path 
to entertainment. I didn't know where it was going to go. I just knew that I felt much better practicing law in an environment that spoke to me otherwise. So there you have it. That was that was the beginning of, you know, I guess my trajectory in the law, which was unexpected for me, actually. I really like that story. And it actually resonates with me because my dad was in the same boat, was like, doctor, lawyer, and sorry, dad, if you're listening, I work in tech now, but he's equally as proud. But that is very funny that my dad had the same sort of like... just (laughs) do what your parents ask you to do. Exactly. And my brother listened. He's on his way to becoming a lawyer. So, you know. Which is awesome. So please, please, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with the law. It just wasn't for me. (laughs) That's all. But it seems like you found a way to make it work. I did. And and you're working on something that you're really passionate about. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as a female executive for American Ballet Theater, you know, what are some of your leadership strategies for managing a team or just in general? Like, is there a culture you guys are working towards? Yes. You know, our two leaders. So the executive director is a woman. We also have an artistic director that is a man. And I must say, they are equally committed to creating a very inclusive and diverse and equitable environment. And I say those words in that order, which is slightly different than you usually hear. You usually hear DEI, right? Yep. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. But I really feel, and I think that you know, the two leaders of American Ballet Theater really feel that it's so important to create an inclusive environment first where everyone feels comfortable and everyone wants to show who they really are, right? bring their authentic selves to work. And that from there, that diversity and that equity will follow. So I really have not found that there is emphasis placed on me being a woman executive per se. I do think that being a woman gives me a very unique and powerful perspective, though. I think there's something about the way that, and I don't want to generalize for all women, but because I'm a woman, the way that I approach things, there's, I guess, a sense of, I don't want to say humbleness, but I think there's a sense that I want to get along, right? But at the same time, stand my ground. I don't let ego get into the equation at all. And I see that from both sides, right? I really don't bring an ego into the room because I just want to make whatever it is that I'm there to make work, work. And at the same time, I don't let someone else's accomplishments and not necessarily the way that they're presenting them to me, but I don't let someone else's accomplishments you know, make me feel inferior or make me feel intimidated. Um, So I really do think um, that some of that does come from being a woman. Um, It definitely comes partially from the things that my mother taught me about her making her way as a woman in a time when, you know, there weren't women in medicine. But I think those were valuable lessons that you don't necessarily have to follow now, but can still be valuable and can still help you make your way um, in the business or legal or tech world. Yeah, as, as a woman. I want to touch a little bit more and, and sort of dig further into 
what I'll now call IDE. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> um, but it seems like many organizations are really now trying to embrace this and and one of their goals and and sort of like a major part of workplace culture is like trying to embody that, trying to come up with a mission statement. So I'm curious, like, do you have any advice for companies that are trying to do more of that and, and ways that they can do that better? Because it seems like the fact that we all are having to now do that is kind of says something in and of itself. It should have just been the way it yeah. was forever, but obviously. Yeah. And I think, you know, yes, and no. Yeah. Um, it is human nature, right? To use your visual cues and, you know, work on those, right? Work based on those. So I do feel as though, yes, one day it should be just in the, you know, as I have been saying, in the DNA of every organization. And that's how I've been talking about IDE <laughs> at ABT, right? Just to say that our goal is to make this who we are, not an initiative, not something that we will, you know, forevermore have to pay such specific attention to. But we also have to be realistic and understand that we are all humans. You know, that there are differences amongst us. And actually, those differences are so valuable. And those differences are what can help us create, at least in our field, excellent art, right? Help us connect with the widest possible audience, which is a part of our mission. Um, really, the only way we can do that is by making sure that we are a diverse community um, and that we are reaching diverse communities advice for how to do it, you know, it is, there's no one size fits all. Um, at ABT, I am so proud to be working with leaders who have been invested in this from the very beginning, very invested. Um, and that is key. It is key to have, you know, everyone from top to bottom of the organization on board, but to have leaders who are ready to champion this, who are ready to support it, who are ready to go out and get support for it is kind of the, the best launching pad that you can have. Besides that, I really, really feel like it's important to understand what the people who are in your organization um, when you embark on this endeavor feel about inclusion, diversity, and equity. What do they even think it is? You know, how do they think it should manifest in the organization? What are the things that would make them feel like the environment is more inclusive for them, right? So kind of get the status quo and then make a deliberate and concerted effort to peel back that onion, you know, figure out the ways that you can connect the dots for people and figure out the ways that you can create this environment that will be welcoming not only to the people that are there, but then by virtue of that, welcome anyone who walks through the doors. And I keep, you know, I talk about wrapping it into the DNA, but I also have been talking about the fact that you can wrap it into the DNA all you want, but it's never going to please everyone internally or externally. So my aim in what, you know, we are trying to do at ABT is to always be the best at getting better, right? Like constantly striving to look at what we're doing, taking the learnings and then plowing them back into the beginning so that we can kind of keep improving, keep improving. And just by virtue of saying we want to get better, we always want to get better in this realm, 
I don't think anyone can fault us for that. And I don't think anyone can fault any organization for that. So to me, that is the way to approach this, you know, very sensitive, sometimes amorphous, um, you know, endeavor that we all want so desperately to pin down, but it's really not something you can pin down, right? That would almost destroy what you're trying to create. Yeah. Right. You want something that is fluid and open and welcoming. I think there may be a method to the madness, but that same method would never apply, right? In multiple contexts. Yeah. I also think about that as well a lot with like, I'm a product manager. So with technology, like each time you're putting out some new set of technology for the world to use, you want to make sure that everyone can use it. Right. And, you know, there's so much you can account for. And we put so much thought into like, oh, well, what if this user needs this? Okay, let's accommodate that. But of course, at the end of the day, you can't account for everything. And it's really that adaptability to make sure that like, okay, when something new presents itself, you say, okay, how do we work to make it so that everyone gets that same equal experience and equal access? It it sounds literally the same, Yeah, you know, just in the different contexts. Um, And that's what makes it fascinating and interesting and appealing is that you are trying to reach as many people as you can. You yeah. Know? And and also I think just let them know that you want to reach them. Yeah. You know, even if you can't right now, right? The aim is to figure out a way. So stick with us, you know? Yeah. Um, stick with us. Exactly. This podcast focuses a lot on mentorship and and what it means to be an ally. And, you know, I'm curious, like, what do you try to do to be an ally to others and and to be a mentor? And what do you recommend for anyone trying to be a better ally or mentor in the workplace? Yeah, You know, it kind of goes back to a little bit of the work that we've been doing at ABT with IDE. (laughs) Um, And that is to make sure that you know other people's stories. You know, once you understand where someone's coming from, I think that that connection will lead more readily to your ability to help someone figure out the path ahead of them, right? Based on where they want to go, but also help you figure out the things that you can do to help them along the way. So I hope that I'm doing this, uh, but I, I do. I try to make sure that I'm talking to people and I understand you know, where they feel they fit in. And then to the extent that they feel they have, you know, work to do, places to go, people that they want to connect with, um, new things that they want to learn, you can think more easily and have an easy conversation with them about it, but also just pinpoint what you can do to help them. And I think they also will more readily be able to articulate what you can do for them. I love formal mentorship programs. I think those can be wonderful because it gives you, you know, a natural bond or nexus it allows you know especially if you're talking about stretching across a hierarchy of an organization but truly i think the organic mentor mentee relationships are the ones that have really the most impact so i don't know you know maybe it can be born out of a pairing 
But I think there are always other opportunities that should not be overlooked, you know, just to, to get to know someone. And I, it doesn't even have to be someone who is, you know, your superior, right? You can find mentorship anywhere. Um, and I think that openness is what uh, creates these relationships that can really be advantageous, probably in both directions. Yeah, no, I would definitely agree with that. And I can tell you that at least I ha- would not be where I am without all of the mentors through every stage of my life that have really helped sort of teach me and shape me. And you're here. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, you know, I, I feel that way really every day. Yeah. You know, my colleagues at ABT are just so knowledgeable about, you know, the art form of ballet, which is something that I, you know, I'm not a dancer. And so every day I feel like I'm learning different ways to approach, you know, the things that I am tasked with at the organization. And as I said, it's not just my superiors. It's not just my peers. I'm learning from everyone in the organization. And that's an interesting thing to, you know, I don't think that people understand that that's the case. And so that's one of my aims is to try to figure out how to make that clear, right? Because I do think that that is a big part of professional development and mentorship um, to understand that everyone in the organization adds value, a unique value, um, and that that should be lauded and it should, people should take notice. Yeah. This is actually one of my favorite questions to ask, but what do you think men can be doing to be better allies? Hmm, so interesting. <laughs> um, I'm not one that's big on generalizations. Fair. However, so actually I am going to generalize, right? Okay. I don't think that this is just specific to men, right? I think that allies, especially when we talk about diversity and inclusion, allies come in all genders, shapes, sizes, rungs on the hierarchy. And so, again, I think that making sure you understand where someone else is coming from, right? So in the case of men, making sure that men understand things like stereotype threat. And I don't know if you know what that phrase means, but there is research out there. There's a a man in particular named Bob Steele who wrote a book called Whistling Vivaldi. And it talks about the fact that the stereotypes that are out there, so let's use women as an example, Mm -hmm. right? There are, especially in your field, right? There are stereotypes out there like women just aren't as good at this tech thing or this math thing or the science thing, right? That that alone can affect the performance of women in these fields, right? So whether it's, you know, in an interview, testing to see if you have the skill to come into a certain role, right? Just the, the brain power that is diverted towards thinking about these overarching stereotypes can, as smart as you are, 
right, affect your ability to perform in a way that will get you through the door to get to, you know, the job that you're seeking. I think that's important for men to understand in certain industries, especially, you know, where women are in the minority and for them to take note of that, right? To make sure that they are taking the time to, you know, take a woman under their wing the same way they would take, you know, a man under their wing and alleviating the thought that being a woman is anything but equal right, to being a man in whatever environment we're, we're speaking of. I, you know, it's hard, it is a little bit hard for me because I will say that in the arts, women are pretty well represented. I think there are other segments of the population that leave something to be desired, right? Yes, and definitely other industries, right, that leave something to be desired. But I, I honestly think that at its basest level, it's about having an understanding of where, you know, you're sitting at the table, but like, how did you come to sit at the table and what are you bringing with you when you're at the table? Um, and then figuring out ways to work together to alleviate anything that would hold back a performance that is fully and completely in line with the capability. Yeah, I 100% agree. So I do want to jump topics a little bit and focus more on you personally again. So I'm curious to hear, like, can you tell me a little bit about like a personal challenge and any strategies you use to overcome it? A personal challenge and strategies I use to overcome it. Ooh, that's a big one. (laughs) (laughs) Or a challenge you faced in your career that... You feel, I mean, we face challenges every day. So yeah, yeah, definitely like hard to pick just one. But if there's one that comes to mind that you think could be a good example for. Um, yeah. You know, I tend to find that, you know, as much as I talk about walking into a room and not letting you know, egos or the other potential elephants in the room get in my way, I do suffer, I guess, from a bit of, I don't know what to call it, timidity, right? So if I'm in a room, if I'm the only woman, if I'm the only black woman or black person, I do find myself thinking about that. And so I really do try to dig deep and think about why I'm there. You know, somebody in that room thinks that I have value to add, right? Somebody in that room thinks that my opinion is worthy and that my opinion may drive something important forward in a way that everyone sitting at that table is banking on. And so I do think that that feeling that because I am typically in the minority, that feeling that you don't belong is something that is a real challenge to overcome. So yes, positive self-talk does it, but also I think to your point, having allies and making allies, right? So that there will be fewer and fewer times that I'll walk into a room where I don't have someone, you know, beside me or across from me 
who does know my story, who does know the authentic me and understands uh, the value that I might add. Those are, you know, I guess the different ways that I try to overcome it. But the challenge and the struggle is real. It really is. Um, Definitely. So I don't know if that really answers your question. But, no, that, um, that, that definitely does. I mean, we talk on my podcast actually a lot about like imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. um, which is what first came to my mind exactly as you were it. talking about that. Yeah. But yeah, I think, you know, I think it's really important to remember that, you know, you're there for a reason yeah. and you wouldn't be there if you weren't needed for some reason. So I think that that's, I, I love what you said. And I think, you know, to, to talk about the specific, you know, syndrome that's been coined, I do think that as women, we tend to go down that rabbit hole. Definitely. You know? And I think that's exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about, you know, is, is trying to prevent myself from going down that rabbit hole. And I do think that it takes allies, you know, and mentors to, to prevent that and keep you on track. Yeah. Honestly, my last question is just, I love to ask this because, you know, studies show that women don't brag about themselves enough. So I would love to hear what you feel is one of your greatest accomplishments. Oh, God. I thought you were going to say. What did I think about that? <laughs> greatest accomplishments. I mean, besides being a mother, right? Yeah. That's huge. Um, and it is my, I think my, my crowning achievement and always will be. What can I say? You know, I will probably be in the role that I have now. Um, and just honestly, my ability to have found, I'll go back to the word allies again, right? Like found allies within my career who have really looked out for me, right? Who took the time to understand what my interests were, what my strengths were, to just, you know, prop me up and let me know where I can add value. I think it's, it can be hard to really connect with people in that way, like connect with them deeply enough that you can, you know, in both directions, influence one another's trajectories. And I actually do, I pride myself on being able to make those deep, you know, seemingly organic connections. I don't know, you know, I guess they're always pretty organic. Sometimes they are by force of circumstance. That's why I, you know, hesitate a little bit. But I don't think that a bond that's not organic would go to the depth, right? That would then produce this kind of, advocacy that I'm talking about. So I do, I pride myself on making those kinds of relationships, but I also pride myself on hopefully being that advocate for other people. Um, and although it doesn't always translate into professional success or even professional development, I think that it is so important, especially in the business world, to have that kind of authentic connection And that is what ultimately can create, number one, an inclusive environment. That's kind of cliche, right? But also, I think it truly creates efficacy 
right? Within whatever line of business you're pursuing, it creates efficiencies, right? Because if you are connected with the people that you're working with, you are inherently going to be able to get the information that you need more readily. You're going to be able to collaborate in a way that yields, you know, a, a stronger path forward. So it sounds touchy feely, and I do feel like people think I'm, you know, sometimes a little like, you know, granola about things. But I really do think that forging those kinds of connections is a skill and an art, and I pride myself on trying to develop that further every single day, every day. And without it, I really don't think that I would be where I am. I think that is a beautiful note for us to end on. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. This was this awesome. Was, this was a pleasure. I hope you know, I was able to fulfill what you thought the purpose of this was. Um, but I love that you're doing this. I think it's so important. Um, and keep it up. Thank you. And thank you so much for your time, for your wisdom. This was awesome. Check back soon for another episode of Boss Ladies. 